about asking God and how all of that works. And today's message is flowing out of last week's message where I spoke about uh, intercession and just how intercession works. Uh, traditionally, we have taken intercession as something that we need to do in order for God to actually do something in the earth and that God is looking for a prayer team. And if that prayer team prays and, and brings it forth, before God in prayer, then God can consider it, and then God will actually do something in the earth that God cannot do anything on the earth without a prayer warrior. Now, we know that that is not true, and if you would like to go and listen to the message, you can go to last week's message in our archive at bertiebrits.com or dynamicministries.com, and just go to Sunday Archive under Messages, and you can find that message there. So, we need to understand that uh, prayer is not, a, is not something God demands in order to do something for us. And we looked at Isaiah 59, and I would like to just recap a little bit on Isaiah 59 and then get into the message for today. <clears throat> I remember there was a time where, I mean, even in South Africa today, we would have, uh, we would have a day of prayer, and then we, had, we will have a prayer team that will pray for the day of prayer, when we would pray that God would do something. And that simply doesn't produce life. It produces a wrong belief about who God is, a wrong belief about who we are. Or well, let me put it this way, it doesn't produce that. It just enforces the wrong belief from where this action takes place. The Bible does say that we will ask God. And we're going to look at what that actually means. But that asking God has got nothing to do with people going on their knees, praying, actually begging God, to do something for them. Now, if I have a car and I say to you, listen, or say to my son, this car is your car, just tell me when you want it. And the moment he comes to me, and he's, he's of the age of 18, and he can have his driver's license, South Africa is at the age of 18, uh, he can come to me and he can say, I want that car. Or just by him becoming 18 years old, he's already then drawing upon and asking that car just by his age. And uh, as he then asks this, imagine he comes to me and says, Hey, Dad, I'm ready to uh, grab a hold of this car, and, and, and I want that now. And then I tell him, No, man, what do you think? Just like that. No, you need to get all your friends at school together, and then a hundred people, a hundred uh, uh, of your friends should give me a call and ask me. And if they ask me the same thing and their heart's really in this, then I'll give you the car. Now, it just doesn't make sense. It is not inside family logic, neither is it inside the logic of what Jesus Christ has showed forth in the earth. We don't find Jesus, when he was on the earth, first uh, create the prayer team so that the prayer team can pray for him so that he can have a breakthrough in this world. No, he had a, a word from the Father and as he became a human being, that life that he had was a prayer. Glory to God. Now we're going to look at that more into that uh, today. Now, let us just get, sorry, let us get into Isaiah, and we're going to read uh, from chapter 59. It says here in verse 1, it says, Behold, the hand of the Lord is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that he cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Now, we have taken that as if somebody has a sin, then people, the prayer warriors need to go and they need to pray 
confess, confess the sins of the people, and then God can move and do something in the earth. But in last week's message, we've explained Isaiah here, and we've seen that is not what it means. It actually talks about the darkness that was in the eyes of the people, in the hearts of the people, and how they were actually, according to Ephesians 4 and also Colossians 1 verse 21, how people were alienated from God through a wrong belief, a darkened heart, and how God saw that there was no intercessor or actually somebody who could stop this. And according to the message translation, it says that God was amazed that there was no man, no one who could intercede or intercept or stop the situation where man would continue to walk in the darkness of his belief system, of the law belief system, or the self-righteousness belief system <coughs> that came forth, that um, actually came, that was satanic. And then he says in verse 16 here, and he saw, this is God, that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Now listen to what he says here. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness, it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate, the helmet of salvation upon his head, and he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing, and he was clad with a zeal as a cloak. So here it says that God saw that there was no intercessor, Therefore, God came and saved man. Now, that is what is said there. You might say, no, Bertie, that can't be true. Let us just read it again. Can you see, you know, before we get deeper into this, can you see how the law can blind you to the point that you can read something, but the true meaning of the thing is actually completely opposite to what you have concluded under the law system? It says here, in verse, um, let's read from verse 15. Yes, truth failed, and he that departs from evil makes himself a prey. And the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. In other words, it displeased the Lord that that which he wants for man was not in the earth. And it says there, and he saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. So was there a man that could stop this? Was there somebody who could intercede or come and stop what was going on? No, there was no one. There was no intercessor. Therefore, he brought, uh, therefore his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness it sustained him. So, what the judgment of God is in this passage is the salvation of the Lord. And that's what it says here. God saw that there was no judgment. He says there was no one that could save man. There's no one that could intercede here and stop this bad situation. Therefore, he came and his own hand brought righteousness. He's, and it explains what he did. He says he's put on righteousness as a breastplate, and the helmet of salvation on his head. It says that God entered this earth 
and his heart was to bring salvation to man. That was what he was thinking about, and that was what was upon his heart. And that word righteousness there doesn't talk about the state of man. It talks about the good deed that God would do towards humanity in taking away what blinds them. So, in Isaiah, when it talks about an intercessor, it does not talk about a local prayer group. It has never been that. God has never looked at the earth and said, there's nobody that is not begging the Father to do something, therefore God cannot do something. You know, I just want to ask you, Leonard, can you bring me some water, please? <coughs> so, um, if there was no one that could do this, it was not as if God said, well, I don't have people that pray for me. I don't have or pray towards me, pleading the case of people as if God is not seeing their distress. You know, when we say things, we need to always ask ourselves, in our conclusion of Scripture, in our conclusion of our doctrine, what does our doctrine actually say about God? So if we come and we say, God cannot give something to us unless there's a group of people praying all the time, then we're actually saying that God knows our need and He will not move unless there is somebody asking on behalf of someone else. And He needs these prayers to come to Him and then from there He will move. But He will not move unless He's got people asking Him all the time. And now from there we've got this thing of starting 24-hour prayer chains wherein we have social media send these um, you know, pray for so-and-so, pray for so-and-so, and all those kind of things. And now we think that if we start a prayer chain, I mean, why do we, what is the belief or the logic behind starting a prayer chain? Thank you so much. What's the logic behind that? Why do we think that if people ask continually, day and night, that there's something that we feel we need to do that? There's some logic that says that. Now what understanding about God is there that if we think that if people can pray 24 hours a day, then something will happen, then God will move. Like I said in the beginning of the message, we've got a prayer group that would pray for the big prayer meeting when we're going to pray. So we've got intercessors praying for the intercessors that will intercede. It is all mixed up, church. It is not life-giving. It doesn't talk. To, it is not the truth about who God is. It's not the truth about what Christ has done. It's outside of family logic. It's outside of the death and the resurrection logic. It's outside of a man seated at the right hand of God in in the Godhead as a human logic. It is simply a warped mindset that comes from blindness that doesn't. Uh, carry the life of God. Now, I'm not saying we cannot pray. I'm not saying we cannot come together, speak to God and those kind of things. I'm not against that. But what I'm saying is, that is not what these passages mean. Then we looked last week, and this is the last scripture I'm going to talk about that we spoke on last week. We spoke on Hebrews 7, where it talks about Jesus making intercession for us at the right hand of God. Now, how does Jesus make intercession for people at the right hand of God? 
the Bible says that he ever lives to make intercession for them. And we've defined intercession simply as God solving the problem. So there was nobody that could intercede or intercept or stop this law system and blindness of people's minds and hearts. Therefore God came in and he interceded into this system, not prayed. He, the, the intercession Jesus did was to become human and to go to the cross, to be raised from the dead and then to be seated at the right hand of the Father in an immortal human body wherein he now intercedes or stopped the problem of sin and death. That is true intercession. And that's what he did. He came in and he interceded. He entered in and stopped what was destroying man. So from that perspective, we can say that through intercession today or if we walk in the spirit of Christ, we are now preaching the gospel of the resurrected Jesus and that is uh, the intercession we can do, if you want to call it like that. True intercession today is simply declaring the truth. What I'm doing today is taking the Jesus that stopped the problem and declaring the truth to you. And that's how the great intercessor is preached and shared with people and that's how that intercession finds its life in those who believe this truth. That is it. Simple, easy, all about Jesus, all about God, and we simply just believing that. Now, you might say, but Bertie, there are scriptures that say we should ask God. Now, we're going to look at some of those, and we're going to, one of them is in James, where James says here, <coughs> in James 4 verse 3, it says, you ask and you receive not, because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lusts. Now, there is a, a scripture about asking. Now, what we have traditionally talked about, and we talked about intercession, is actually now asking God to do something for the nation. And now we see that intercession actually had nothing to do with asking God to do something for the nation, but actually God bringing forth a plan that can save man from uh, the, the darkness of the law belief system and works righteousness and bring light unto them. That is true intercession. But we still sit with, so what about asking? Can we not ask God? The passage in John 14 that says that, and whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that my Father may be glorified, uh, that the Father might be glorified in the Son. Now, what about those passages? Should we not ask? Should we then not Maybe forget about the intercession, but as groups of people, ask God to do something for us. What about that? Now, we're going to look at that uh, today. In, uh, I want to read from James chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 1 to 7 and explain asking in that context. Then we're going to go to James 4. We're going to go to John 14. And uh, if time allows us, we might even go into John 15, but I doubt. That will be next week. So it says here in, John, in James 1 verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord, Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into different temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. But let patience have its perfect work, 
that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now, before we read on, let us just stop right there. <coughs> it says there, But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. What is James talking about here? James is writing to Jewish people that are falling back again into Judaism. And now he says to them, don't fall back into Judaism. Continue to believe upon the Lord and just be patient. Immortality is on its way. Jesus will manifest that and you will be perfect and entire wanting and lacking nothing, meaning you will not even lack eternal life. That is what he is saying here. So, the Bible says, through faith and patience we inherit the promise. Faith, the finished work of Jesus Christ and the resurrection, believing in that, having a hope from, the, from that resurrection that I preached on two weeks ago. And now from that faith, through faith and patience, in other words, faith and hope. That is basically what it is. Faith and continually having this confident expectation of good, we will inherit the promise. So he says here, that you will lack nothing by what? By continuing in this persuasion with the expectation of eternal life. Now, when somebody expects something, is he not actually asking something? You know, I've got the gardener here um, that comes in twice a week and cleans my garden, or once a week, he comes in and cleans the garden on Mondays. Now, um, he comes in in the morning at about 7 or 8, and then he leaves at 3. Now, I can be in the office busy making programs and everything, and then I will get out of the house, and when I go out of the house, he will be standing there. And that would be normally at 3 o'clock. Other, other than that, he would be busy. The only other time that he will stand there waiting for me is if he wants to ask something, he wants to plant something or whatever he wants to do, and he needs some advice. So, when I get out of the door at 3 and he stands there, I might not even be keeping track of time. It might be, at, let's say, uh, uh, um, 3, but I might think it's 12. It might be, I might think it's noon. I get out and there he is. I can see by the way he stands that he's asking for his money. Now, that asking is not even, sir, I want my money. He's saying nothing. I can just see by the fact that he has finished his work, and after he finished his work, and because of the time, it's 3 p.m., he is now to be paid. So the moment he's done his work, and it is 3 p.m., immediately from that moment, asking, automatic asking kicks in. He is now, from that moment, asking for his pay. So, and then what will I do? I'll go and I say, it's happened to me many times, I run out here, I said, yes, is there anything? And then I realize it's 3 p.m. I say, just wait, quickly take the money, give it to him. So, in the very same way, it says here, through faith and patience, we shall inherit the promise. Now, in this time of patience, what are we doing? We are actually at a time where we are now awaiting that which is promised by the persuasion that we have. That is what it is. Now he goes on here. And in that light, he goes and he's talking about asking. Now remember, he says, we will be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. 
How? By continually trusting in the finished work of Jesus. In other words, continuing, continuing to make a demand on this resurrection wherein the Spirit brings forth fruit in our lives and where the Spirit will raise us up immortal. Glory to God. Now it says, and if you lack wisdom, now wisdom I've put in the brackets here, it says, that which gives fullness of life. The Old Testament people, they understood wisdom as, as something that can give you eternal life. If you lack that which brings life, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given unto him. So what he says here is, if you need life, let your expectation be of God. That would ask there, fortunately I didn't put it here in the Greek definition, but that would ask there means to require or to desire. So if you are in a place where you need something that give you life, don't go to any other person than God. Let your expectation, let go and require life from God. That's what he says there. If any one of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given unto him. And explain what James is saying here. The problem here with these Jewish believers was they stopped to believe that God has got a place for the Gentiles. So he says, if you guys need wisdom unto life, go and require it from the God that gives to all people, and there in the mind of James is Jew and Gentile, liberally, in other words, freely, not by obedience to the law, and it shall be given unto you. Then he goes on in the next passage there, the next verse. <clears throat> and he says, But let him ask in faith, not wavering. In other words, go now and ask in the persuasion. Remember two weeks ago we spoke about faith. In the persuasion of the resurrection. The faith, the belief that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died, that he conquered sin and death. Go and ask in that persuasion and don't waver. Don't go back to the law. That is what he says there. But let him ask in faith, not wavering, for he that wavers is like the wave of the sea, driven with a wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Okay. So what is he saying here? He's saying, listen guys. By faith and continual belief in Jesus, you will lack nothing. Now, we might say today we are groaning, we are still lacking certain things. Yes, we are. We are lacking in our physical bodies immortality. We are lacking that. Now, if you need the wisdom that will bring you this eternal life, don't go and look at the law, don't go and look at any system, don't go and look at anything except God. But you have to go to the God that gives to Jew and Gentile freely. And when you go to Him, you must go to Him on the persuasion of the death and the resurrection of Christ. That's what you need to do. Seeing yourself united with God in Christ. Because if you need the fruit of the Spirit, that is what He's actually talking about there. If you need the fruit of the Spirit and the which will eventually end up in immortality, 
you cannot require it from anyone else but God inside the parameter that will bring forth life, which is the finished work of Christ. That is what he's saying. So, when we ask, we are actually putting a demand on or walking inside the expectation of eternal life, the New Testament or the work of Christ puts before humanity. That is what it is all about. He's not talking about there, go on your knees, pray every day, beg God until it happens. That's not what he's saying. One of the meanings for the word ask, one of the root meanings means to wish. So he says here that if you need wisdom, let your wish be that God that gives liberally will give it to you. Let your wish be that the God that abradeth not, according to the Greek, abradeth not means take no account of the past, will give it to you. And then it will be so. So what he's saying is, if you're asking God for anything, if I look practically, let's become very practical. If I ask for certain things about my children, um, the way I ask is, uh, my wish or my desire is that the God that gives life to both Jew and Gentile, that takes no account of the past, but only walks in the revelation of his original plan, that that God would give my children life. And you know what? It will be so. Now, I might have that desire for many years and then see it. A good example is um, this TV station we are starting. You know, to, uh, the first of November is when we will uh, uh, air our first uh, programs. But inside my heart, I had a desire to have a TV station. And I remember, and you guys can recall this in my teachings on how to hear the voice of God, that there was a desire in me, and I believe that desire came from God. And that desire was then that the God who gives liberally, who doesn't walk according to the principles of sowing and reaping and tithing and all those kind of things, or the principle of asking people for seed faith all the time and all those things, that that God would liberally, the one that gives both to Jew and Gentile, that he will buy the freedom of his kingdom give such a station. Not by my works or anything like that, but only by that system. You know what happened? That, that is how it happened. The people that are, I don't even know who pays for this station. It, and for the airtime, I don't even know how that works. I just know we've got the station, we've got everything in place, we must send the first programs by middle October, it must be there, and the 1st of November, it's being aired, and we're having our own grace station. And you know what? I've got no bill. There's no airtime bill. It was just by His grace. So, it, I didn't go around, oh God, I, I claim a TV station. I bind the devil that wants to stop the TV station. I, no. There was inside my heart, simply an expectation that that which Christ has died for shall manifest in my life, and that is how I asked. And that's how it came forth. Glory to God. And my trust was in the God that doesn't take account of, of the past, the God that gives liberally to all, and it was all founded on the finished work of Christ, 
and the revelation that there is a man in the Godhead that doesn't exclude me but includes me and then I rested. And that's how we find people and from that system we find people that have this revelation and that has got a life born from this revelation start to give towards this ministry and do things like that. That's just how it works. And you know what? There's eternal life in that. That means that we don't have to try and sustain it by trying to work people up and trying to keep them motivated. And all. It's just an easy life. It's actually the eternal life that God brings. And we start to see the first fruit of that. So, a summary of James 1 here. He's actually saying to them, listen, if you need something that can give you life, expect it from the God that gives to both Jew and Gentile without taking account of the past, and it shall be so. But don't just expect it from that God. Expect it from that God in the light of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Let him ask in faith. Amen. Faith is inside the faith or the belief system or the logic of the Messiah that came and took away the sin of humanity and put a man in the Godhead. Then James 4 verse, verse 1, it says, it says here, listen to this, it says, From where come war and fighting among you? Come they not even from the lust which wars in your members? So he comes and he says to these Jewish people, he says, listen guys, Jewish believers, where does this fighting amongst you guys come from? Doesn't it come from something you believe in which brings forth the fruit of the flesh? which Paul refers to in Galatians 5 as the legalistic law-based system. And what he's actually saying, what James is saying to these Jewish people is, listen, you guys, look, look at what's happening. The, the sin in the flesh is being quickened. How? By you going back to that which revives sin in you, which was recorded in Romans 7 according to Paul. Amen? It says here, you lust and you have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Now, where do we want but we cannot have? But under the law. Romans 7, the good that I want to do, I cannot do. Why? Because I'm under this law that the good that I want to do, I cannot do. And that is called the power of sin it's called the ministration of death written on stones. Okay? It says, you lust and you have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. So, so many times we want to suppress the flesh and try and do right to have, but we cannot obtain here. It says, you fight and war, yet you have not, because you ask not. So what he's saying here is, you're at a place where you want to do, that's why you cannot have. Because you're not actually asking it of God. You are not at a place where you say, I expect God to freely give me the fruit of the Spirit, wherein I will not war and lust and fight and all those kind of things. You are not at a place where you're expecting that from God, where you stand at a place where you can say, the work has been done by Christ, there is a resurrected man at the right hand of God where you can stand like my gardener stands. Now, 
asking of me the payment when we stand before God having now this expectation of the fruit of the work that Christ has done, which is true asking. He says, you're not asking. Now he goes on, he says in verse 4, you ask and you receive not. Now he says, there are some of you who ask and you receive not. And then he says, why? Because you ask amiss. Now the, the context here is the fruit of the Spirit. The context here is not Mercedes-Benz. It is not Bentley. It is not Jets. It is nothing, none of that. It is the fruit of the Spirit and a life that is born from the Spirit, wherein whatsoever I have in this life, be it a car's wife, children, ministry, whatever, is born from the Spirit and a result of the resurrection power of Christ. Now, they say you ask, James said, you ask amiss that you may spend it, sorry, verse 3, you ask and you receive not because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lust. So what he's actually saying is, it will almost be something like this. If you ask God to help you to obey the law so that you can do the right thing, it's almost like the, 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 the way I preached two weeks ago where they say, Lord, increase our faith. Allow us to forgive even seven times so that we can have the life which comes by seven times forgiveness. Then God said to them, Jesus said to them, listen, you've got the wrong understanding. You need faith as a seed, wherein Jesus is the seed that was sown, which is the yeast that enters the earth, wherein we can have life by him. You've got the wrong belief, my friend. That's what he's saying. So the very same thing he's saying here in James. He's saying simply that your you are asking amiss. You are now actually asking inside law parameters for God to help you to, to bring forth life by this law system. He says, so you can actually consume it on your lust. That lust actually means the requirement or the desire the law puts in your heart. So, when we ask, the, the question here or the context here of asking in James 1 when he says, Ask and you will receive is wisdom for that which would bring forth life, number one. The second thing here in James 4, again, talks about the fruit of the Spirit, which, which they are not having. Why? Because they are approaching God from the foundation of going back to Judaism, wherein the demand they make on God is based on their works. Where they should make, the, where their expectation, the asking is the expectation. It's not prayer every day in the closet. It is an expectation in the heart. So I want to say to you, as you are a believer in the finished work of Jesus Christ, as you are looking at the resurrected Christ, and you look at where you are, and you see your shortcomings or whatever you still see in your life, according to Romans 8, which is called groaning, and creation also groans, and now it says the Spirit also groans, the Spirit within us. What will happen now? That Spirit will now, according to what we see and whatever is experientially outstanding, is automatically, as we are believing in this truth, a request before God. 
hope you can understand what I'm saying. Is it's like <coughs> the old and new South Africa. I hope this analogy works. But if you look at people that were oppressed under the old South Africa, and now there is the new South Africa, the fact that they were oppressed and that they are now standing in the new South Africa, that person and whatever shortcoming he has, if he doesn't have running water in his house, if he doesn't have um, electricity in his house and whatsoever he needs at his house, or a proper built house that's built out of brick and mortar and not a tin shack, the fact that he lives inside the tin shack, inside the new South Africa, whatever his shortage is, is an automatic demand made on the government to provide it for him. It's an automatic prayer. Now, the only difference between South Africa and the kingdom of God is, is that requirement made there is done through a heart of persuasion where you want it, for it's not forced down on you. Where we enter into a relationship with God and believe upon it. So what I'm saying is this. As you understand and believe in the true good news, and having the expectation of the fruit of the Spirit by the resurrection power of God, ending in immortality, you are asking everything you could ever ask for, and whatever need you have shall be met that way. That is how it works. Glory to God. You might say, but can I not go and ask God for something specific? Whatever you feel to do, do it from that perspective and that persuasion. Glory to God. Well, um, we're about 40 minutes into this message, and I'm not going to go into chapter 14 of John and chapter 15, because then it's going to push it to an hour and 15 minutes, and I'm scared that we're going to lose some of the valuable things that we're going to say. So I'm going to move that to next week. So know this, that we are so scared. Are we asking right? Are we praying right? Are we interceding right? As a Christian, this is how I ask the Father. This is how I ask. The life I have today, in the belief of the finished work of Jesus Christ, seeing a man at the Godhead, which makes intercession for me. In other words, who solves the problem that I have, which is when I am still not experiencing the fullness of who He is, that persuasion in my heart is wherein I have my hope and my expectation or my wish or my desire, and that is how I ask of God. The context of asking, and if you go into um, John 14 and John 15, where it talks about the greater works which we will do, which I will explain next week, it's all about the fruit of the Spirit and immortality. And how do we expect that from God? That is all. Wherein the demand is made upon the finished work of Christ, wherein we stand in that, when God brings forth that life. That is how it works. So, you might think, what's wrong with me? I'm having this thing wrong in my life. I'm having that. Am I not asking right? Am I not praying right? The best advice I can give you is this. Go and ask God, Lord, I want to see the dimensions of your love. I want to see who you are, what I am, and what the resurrected Christ at, and where he is seated at the right hand of God. What does that say about me? Church, now I speak to people on a regular basis about this. And I, I mean, I, 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 many times, I, so many times I look at 
things on social media, uh, messages being preached, let us get to a place where we move away from the lawman. Let us get into the grace of God. Let us go, you go and pray and say, Lord, I don't want Bertie to try and explain these things to me. I want to know for myself. If you want to use him, glory to God. But God, I want to know. I want to understand this love of God. I want to understand this grace. I want to understand what he sees about prayer. I want to understand true prayer. I want to understand true intercession. I want to understand inclusion. I want to understand innocence. I want to understand judgment. I want to understand righteousness. God, here I am. And the finished, the, the, the Christ at the right hand of the Father understands all these things. Therefore, my expectation is that His mind shall fully manifest in me, that I might know, experience, feel, and live by His logic. That is true prayer, church. Glory to God. Well, I want to thank you so much for watching. I trust this message has blessed you richly and that it was uh, thought-provoking and it will get you to go and think and talk to God about these things. You will see how the Holy Spirit just brings forth more and more revelation about this and not just revelation, but experiential knowledge where you feel and see the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Glory to God. Thank you so much for watching and God bless you.